This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Dream Symbols, manufacturers of handmade, hand-hammered symbols at very affordable prices. So please follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for at Dream Symbols and check them out. What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 89 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnson from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we'll dive into some education and talk about developing your finger control. Our featured artist this time is Mastodon's Braun Daler. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out the Gibraltar Stealth G-Drive pedals. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Almost didn't turn my recorder on in time. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> How could you line it up if we don't have the snap? It would have been weird. It, it would have been, been tough. <laughs> a little bit of a delay. Yeah, at some uh, point. How are you, bud? I'm good, man. I'm good. I, I'm, um, what am I doing? I'm gearing up for this weekend. <laughs> I've got um, uh, a, a last-minute session. I'm actually going to another studio to do a recording session. That'll be the nice. first time in a year I've left my room to do drum tracks. So. Wow, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I'm a little nervous because I won't have everything at my disposal, and I won't be able to just take my time and do whatever i want right but i've got yeah. basically three hours i think to get two tracks done i don't think it'll, it'll be impossible okay. i've never heard the song yeah. so i don't know what i'm in store for but oh really and will you hear them for the first time at the studio or will you get a demo before that i'm expecting to show up and hear it and record it okay but cool I'm, i think it's going to be like brushes and kind of lighter stuff so i'm not too cool. worried about it but yeah that's this weekend and i go straight to a gig after that it's gonna be a long a long saturday for me and then sunday i have to drive back and then play a host a jam session so i might be a little more grumpy than usual at the jam <laughs> session. nice so uh so yeah heads up to any of the young drummers out there uh don't don't sit on mike's kit and just break all the heads he's he's gonna be in a little bit of a mood you're gonna want to steer clear of old dawson that's good stuff buddy good stuff at man. least it's a house kit i don't have to worry about that but oh there you go yeah then then yeah just enjoy the destruction as it takes shape be like man that is really one way to play that song. Yeah. Look at you go. <laughs> Look at you go. Oh, two Bs. Two Bs. Nylon yeah. tip. Wow. Everyone, everyone wants to hear more crash cymbals. That's what everyone yeah. wants to hear. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely a lesson for all of the young drummers out there. Uh, make sure that you always hit a crash right on the downbeat of one of every measure, especially yep. when you're playing in a jam session. It's really important. <laughs> um, and I would say fill every two bars. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, yeah. don't even stop. <laughs> just just keep going and make sure it's really important to to always change the bass drum pattern at least every two bars yeah i mean consistency is for losers and tempo is a suggestion you can kind of go up and down at will (laughs) it's it's implied anyways feel really uh, really moody i'm actually in a really good mood you just got me all grumpy for no reason thanks a lot man i'm stoked (laughs) i've got camp coming up uh I just uh, got completely, uh, I don't know, swindled by Facebook somehow. Uh, what? I was, yeah, I was scrolling through Instagram and I see this like ad for Mike'sLessons.com, but it's like really ad-like. Like, hmm. like I clearly didn't do it. It was like, um, like a, a screenshot of our website, and then it, it's like the the header tags that you put on the back end of your website. That's the ad campaign. So it's like. Online drum lessons with Mike Johnston, live and broadcast. It was just like, what, what is this? And so I'm like, uh, and it's on my feed, and it says that I posted it, but it's not posted like from me. It's I, I don't know. So anyways, I click on it, and I click on learn more. It takes me to the website, and I'm like, okay, well, this is clearly a, a paid campaign. I go back to it, and I'm like, delete. And then it says, uh, you have to delete this in Facebook. I'm like, what the heck's going on? And I guess when I was putting up a post um, that was targeted for a country that I'm going to eventually, I guess somehow I clicked on a button that was like, promote your website. Um, Really? Yeah, I did. So I was doing a a paid campaign targeted to a country that I'm visiting, just saying like, hey, I'll I'll be there. And I want to. And the reason why I do that is because if if you don't pay, you can't target it. Well, I, I don't. I only need. Singapore or wherever to know about this. Yeah, I don't right. need everyone to know. 
And I guess, yeah, somewhere in the mix, in the 90 choices, I clicked on, hell yeah, promote my website. And then <laughs> and then it showed up and it was the cheesiest thing ever. So for any of you that follow me on Instagram <laughs> or Facebook, if you saw the lamest cookie cutter ad ever, I did not mean to do that. I've never really paid. I've never paid to promote Mike'sLessons.com directly like that. And so uh, I apologize. Other than that, getting ready for drum camps. <laughs> hey, does that start this week? Yeah, they get here on Saturday, so Saturday night is orientation, and then uh, uh, Sunday we start camp, and I'm so, so excited. I don't know if you saw the little video I put up on Instagram, but the city of Folsom built this new, like, hang yeah, spot I saw at that. the bottom of my parking lot. Like, That's just, cool. Yeah, and it's been under construction for, like, two years, but it's been completely gated off. Like, this massive section of the American River has been gated off. And so I had I had no idea what they were doing down there. So for two years, it was a pretty long walk to get to the river, even though it's in my parking lot because we had to walk around this thing. And mm-hmm. so for the last two camps, we just didn't really have a lot of direct river access. And that's where, especially on, like, warm summer nights, go down there. Everyone's had a rough day of, you know, trials and tribulations. Go down there and kind of relax. And so I go down there two days ago or three days ago and it's this gorgeous hang spot and i'm like did you build this for me this is amazing so uh <laughs> i saw that that was the first thing i thought the old skater in me was like is this a skate spot can i do something there yeah. <laughs> like, what can I, I could probably hit that rail can i can i break little, up some uh, curbs here <laughs> yeah well he'll flip down the uh the old stairs but yeah so I, i'm really excited about that and then um been practicing the camp book the curriculum just getting it ready for camp and i'm i think i'm actually going to Look for my first book publishing deal. I'm going to turn the camp curriculum into the four stage practice method book, and actually, oh, great. Uh, it'll probably be my first non published, non self published book. Um, and That's so, awesome. so I'm excited about that because there's just the thing is, I feel like we have enough to practice. That's really not a problem. I, I feel like organizing the practice in our minds and really getting a good practice routine is a tough thing to do for everybody. And I want them to see the difference between. <clears throat> so, in, instead of saying this is the only way to warm up your hands, I want to say, okay, this is if you did this, this would be a great non creative warm up. But then if you took it here, that would be using the creative part of your mind, and that's a t- completely different style of practicing. Um, hmm. And if you couldn't do it at all, you would move it into main focus, and now it's something you're learning, which is a totally different thing. And this um, all could be, like, if you're on a practice pad, it can go through all four stages, or if you're on the drum kit, it absolutely. can go through all four. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to teach it. The good thing is, the camp <clears throat> curriculum is a junior version of the four-stage practice method book, and I get to lab time it with 10 camps in a row and really fine tune it and see like, okay, I got to have 10 drum camps and I saw massive progress. I know this thing works. It's been proven to work. Now let's put it out. So, so yeah, so I'm excited about that. man. So yeah, now in there, got to build up those fingers. Yeah. Do you have that in there? Is that part of it? It is. Yeah. I mean that it's not specifically geared as wrist versus finger technique, but there are some exercises where, in the camp, I'll be telling them, "Okay, you're going to max out with fingers or with wrists. I, you're you're going to peak BPM wise, um, unless you're just a freak." But the, I think the big thing with finger technique, and uh, clearly we made we made a smooth segue into our educational section. <laughs> the the thing with finger technique is that it's just about less effort. I don't have to work so hard for that speed. I don't have to be sweating. To pull out that speed. And I, I don't know if you saw it, but Carter McLean just posted a – he was doing a Facebook Live thing, and somebody was asking him about his technique, and he was just showing uh, how fast he can play singles with his wrists. And then he turned his fingers on, and it was the next gear. You know, He bumped oh, about yeah. 40 BPM, and he was just saying, I just don't need to use as much energy. Um, hmm. The problem is telling people that is usually where things go wrong as far as you then have to t- teach them how to use their fingers. That's yeah. the hard thing is like, yeah. well, how do I exercise these fingers? You know, in the beginning, your fingers don't work. So do you have specific exercises that you use to build up your fingers? Uh, I'm kind of revisiting Jojo Bayer's, his exercises from his first DVD uh, okay. where he talks about, because that's something that I, I've kind of been more of a wrist player my whole life. I think it's from from studying marching band and all that so much to where finger control is is like only for the really advanced rudimental players. Everything's from the wrist, at least in high school and stuff when I was in it. So, and I, but I did I did work on finger control, and I think my right hand just naturally developed it because I played so much jazz. And I, right. I mean, you play up tempo swing, you really you have you to have use to. the fingers. It, the sound is is fingers. You can't really use a wrist stroke for that. 
but I've been recently just trying to go back and, and really figure it out because my left hand just feels not anywhere near where it needs to be. Okay. Uh, and I have a hard time transitioning from wrist to fingers and letting go of that control. That's that's the ultimate really? thing because it's like I don't want to just let my fingers take over. I feel like it becomes this like yeah uncontrollable spaz that I that I'm not really that I don't really like. And quite honestly, I very rarely have to rip a fast single stroke roll around the kid or anything right like that. <laughs> so, I mean it's not really but I want to be able to just turn it on if I need to uh, yeah. so anyway the exercises in, in I think it might be the, one of the first things he talks about is isolating each joint each finger in French grip first so yep. you do just the thumb and index finger and try to get a, a even stroke there and then just move down each finger and then start doing groups of two fingers so I've been doing that, but really what has been the hard part is transitioning from French grip over to German or American grip and still maintaining like freedom with the fingers. Mm. And he has sure. a good system for that where you play like eight strokes with one finger in French grip and then just roll slowly roll it over to German grip and okay. try to maintain that. So that's been it's super simple, but that's been my daily my daily pad finger workout of just because finger French grip for me where the thumb is you know the hand is side with perpendicular to the ground, so the fingers are easy. They can freely play. It's very easy. Right. But when you move over into the German grip with the palm facing the floor, it's it's different. And I've felt like some weird pain in my wrist because I'm kind of over twerking okay. my fingers. I could totally see that. Yeah. So I'm trying to get in that more of the American grip, which is in between French and German, and and still trying to maintain that because my right again my right hand can do it it can do it in french grip it can do it in german grip it it's totally fine my left hand is just janky so i'm having to that's funny i'm having and to you are left-handed right left-handed or, but i've i've been a right-hand handed drummer my whole my whole right. career i made that right. decision early on so i wouldn't have to change people's drum sets around every time i played <laughs> it's a good call <laughs> it's a good call to make man so um, i've just been I, like letting my right hand kind of teach my left hand and just being patient. So going from French grip, finger strokes, and then slowly rolling over to German grip and trying to nice. maintain that open grip without it tightening up. That's yeah, the main th- thing that I've been doing. I think just really being able to understand what the fingers bring to the movement of a drumstick, you know, being able to finally get them involved is so important. Um, for me, it was a lot of practice uh, with the sticks on my forearm. So I'm holding the sticks at the top, at the and tip, I play right? the sticks on my yeah. yeah. I'm holding the sticks by the tip, and then I play all of my rudiments on my forearms, and then I make sure that the wrists are only involved for the accents. So if I'm playing paradiddles, my wrists should only be moving on the downbeats, but everything else is mm. in the fingers. Um, and that allowed that to open up. And then I do those same exercises, but like that. So if you hold the stick. If you hold your arm straight out and let the stick drop so the stick is pointing straight to the ground, then I can use only first finger, only second finger, only third, and then finally pinky doing that same thing. So same thing as the Jojo Mare thing, just with the reverse of the grip, you know, where I hold the stick at the top. And it's more of a physical workout, but I feel like there's some muscles in there. What would those be called? Your phalanges, your metatarsals, your metacarpals? (laughs) You know, I don't know if, about the anatomy to that because aren't the muscles actually in your forearm to control that stuff? I don't, I don't know. know. I have no idea. All I know is they are not developed. I just, I just know that they don't work. Um, and so, you know, that was a really important thing for me to do is physically even build up the skill set to to pull the stick with my finger and, like you said, control it because it just starts spazzing out on you. Yeah. And it's like, man, I can't keep solid eighth notes at one twenty yeah. with this. I think it's and important then, to note that going that you it fingers finger control doesn't mean playing super fast i when no, i when no. i'm practicing i'm actually practicing maybe i don't know 120 eighth notes at like 120 it's like slow i'm doing really slow yeah. movements just to get my, actually my index finger is really kind of kind of dumb my use for my fingers is not for single stroke roll speed i mean that's like the gimmick of it my use for my fingers is for my dynamic playing there's Mm -hmm. there's a time where i can't like you said with the jazz ride pattern i play a lot of that now but in straight so a lot of ding chicka ding chicka ding chicka ding and if i did that all wrist it'd be so chunky yeah exactly Uh, actually last night i had a rehearsal with these two uh, singer songwriters these two twins that um i've known in the past from different bands but now they're making their own thing just and they're hiring people like hey mike we want you to play on this song rather Mm -hmm. than be in our band so i had a rehearsal last night with them and i was 
I was playing maybe God like eighty. Ding, and if I would have been all wrists on my twenty-two inch Big Apple dark ride, it would have been like bang, 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 bang. <laughs> but I wanted it to be like the most delicate thing in the background of the groove, and my fingers are what allowed that to happen. I mean, my arm didn't move at all, my wrist barely moved, and almost everything was controlled by the fingers. Yeah. So I think finger control comes down to a couple things. It can be a speed thing for sure, and you can use it for that. But like you said, I mean, I, I mean, dude, even in my nerdy Instagram videos, I rarely rip a single stroke roll. So yeah. it's really coming down to a, an efficient way of playing and being able to be fully in control of my dynamics. And there becomes a dynamic level where the wrists, it's, it's actually too much work to try to be quiet with my wrists. And the fingers just do it. Hmm. So um, it's definitely worth working on for sure. Now, does your grip position change when you shift in the fingers? It's it's American, I would say. The whole time. Uh, it, yeah, my grip is really dependent on where I am on the kit. I would never force myself into American or uh, definitely not German on the ride because of where it's positioned on my kit. It would be so uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You know. So what happens is as I go to the ride, my elbow tucks in towards my body, which naturally rotates my thumb towards the sky. And then all of a sudden I just happen to be in French grip. And it would take a lot of effort for me to then turn my wrist back over and my palm facing the ground and that'd be a really uncomfortable way to play the ride but when i come down to the snare it would take a lot of effort for me to bring both of my elbows in and play french so yeah the position on the kit is kind of dictating my technique then when i'm on a pad totally different story when i'm on a pad i'm really thinking okay keep your hands in this position i usually if i'm on a pad i'm usually in front of a mirror um, at my house and i'm Mm. trying to and then i'll say okay now let's do it french and now let's do it American, let's do it German. And it's a very, I've always seen the pad is military and the drum set is art. And, you know, and I don't really cross the two. I, mm. I, I train like it's the military on my pad, but when I get to the drum set, it's all out of my mind. And whatever, hopefully the preparation pays off, you know. Until you make a video and then you watch it and see that your pinky's sticking straight out. <laughs> Man, that happens so much. Especially if I'm ripping or I'm going ding, 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 ding. Then it's like, uh. ugh. I have this thing that like I cannot play a six-stroke roll without my pinky throwing out on the sixth stroke. <laughs> it's like, ring, ring, ring. And I'm like, come on, man. I want to go all Ronnie Lott and just cut the damn thing off. Just get rid of it. I don't need it. Have you ever gone uh, like super crazy and, and slow motion videotape your hands when you're oh, playing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that is crazy. Like There's so many little micro movements that I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that all the time. But like the pinky starts poking out or the first finger starts extending. That's the whole reason to get that iPhone 6 when it first right. came out was it had slow-mo on it, you know, at 120 frames per second. Um, and then and then you see it and you're like, no, no, yeah. my technique's better than that. <laughs> and it's like, oh, that's right. I always record at 24 frames per second so it blurs everything out. <laughs> like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was uh, that's an eye-opener for sure. If you guys have an iPhone, I would highly suggest you record yourself uh, in at 120 frames per second, watch it in slow motion and see what your hand's actually doing. Yeah, you'll learn a lot from that for sure. Yeah, I don't know for that sure. there's really, I don't know. I mean, is there any major benefit to then trying to change it or just observing it? I don't. I don't. I'm kind of on the fence because I think some of those little micro details you can't. I don't know that you can change them. I mean, if your pinky's sticking right. out, yeah, but. I don't think you can't really practice in slow mo. <laughs> you know, no, like, no, no. I, I'm with you. I think it's. it's I do it might like show do you it. that you're gripping too tight. Like yeah. you know, when you do the slow mo thing, a lot of people realize for the first time because I've gotten this email. Hey, I slow moed myself, and my stick is rotating in my hand. Like mm-hmm. the logo is spinning, and it's like, yeah, that's great. You have a nice relaxed grip. Uh, as long as you're not dropping the stick. But sometimes, you know, if, if you're playing really fast and that logo never moves and you see that there's no space between the fingers touching the stick and then the stick touching your palm, if it's always closed, yeah. then, you know, you need you, you need to relax. You might not see that if you're always playing, uh, if you're never looking down at yourself. I think there's nothing wrong with videotaping yourself, studying it, and trying to learn something from it. But if, you, if you're an obsessive person, maybe don't do that. So, uh, well, let's talk about a uh, monster rock drum. By the way, guys, uh, if you, I think Mike had the best uh, idea as far as if you guys want to learn more about this and really want to learn how to practice it, check out JoJo Mayer's first DVD. It's Secret Weapons for the Modern Drummer Hands, yeah. right? And I, yeah, and I, secret, no, secret Weapons for the Modern Drummer. I don't know if he okay. did he resubtitle it. I'm not sure, but 
It was okay. just the, the first one. Um, I think I got 10 minutes in and stopped. I'm like, all right, I'm done for a month. Like, I don't need to yeah. watch any more of this DVD. <laughs> like, I've Man, seen enough. That's so hard to get people to understand. <laughs> I mean, just as a teacher, you know, the time thing where people are just like, oh, dude, I worked on it for like a, an entire week. I'm like, week? <laughs> yeah, I'm two decades into that one. <laughs> Like, I've seen multiple presidents come and fall. I've seen people almost get impeached in my time of working on finger technique. So, um, (laughs) yeah, last time I when I started finger technique, it was me, a practice pad in front of a box TV watching Ronald Reagan give a speech. So, um, all right, then. (laughs) Yeah. So it's been a while, man. So, you know, don't think you're going to get this stuff down in a week. Uh, But you do see improvements. But, you know, not all hope is lost. All right. Let's (laughs) talk about somebody that is a. Big boy drummer. This dude can hit like a champ, but he actually has fantastic technique. And that is Mr. Braun Daler. And uh, he's got a new album out with Mastodon. So, yeah. do you know Braun? I've actually never met him. I, I mean, I know him through Meinl, um, but not not personally. I've never met him. Yeah, well, he played he played the Modern Drummer Festival yep. uh, one of the first couple times I was working here. Um, and then, you know, PASIC, we've, and, and I think NAM, we might have had a, a dinner with, with a bunch of people. Uh, you know, so it, yeah, a little bit, Casually. a little bit okay. casual. Um, but the Modern Drummer Festival was really—I think it was a modern. It was either Modern Drummer or Pace. Like I don't remember because he did the two. I think within the same year, but it was his first time ever doing something like that. And he's such a—he's such a stud that he just got the recordings of his of Mastodon tracks removed. I think he removed the vocals and the drums. Okay. And just played to them. No rehearsal, no click track. Just turn on the tracks, and I'm going to just play to them. And he nailed it. I mean, nailed it. I mean, there was like oh. no safety net. He could have completely derailed and had to restart. Oh, that's awesome! <laughs> I mean, it like what the big, stud. you know, like this event that that can break people down, like a oh the yeah, biggest drum event in the world at the time. And he's just like, yeah, I'm just going to. I'm just going to play. <laughs> It'll be fine. Yeah, you know, people don't realize, because uh, I've been on both sides. I mean, I was the kid that was buying the Modern Drummer videotapes and eventually the DVDs. And then I eventually was doing things like PASIC or these festivals where they're filming it for a DVD. And they don't understand when you're watching it on your TV or your computer, you don't understand that there is a crane flying <laughs> around that drum set with a massive movie camera on it and then there's handheld people that are walking around and then there's yeah. a dude trying to get your foot shot yeah. and he's crawling down and you're trying to perform <laughs> and like it is we see it and it's just like oh yeah i just have a bird's eye view and it's like well where do you think that bird's eye view came from it's a camera that could drop on the dude's head at any second attached to a monster crane you know and so yeah. it's a tough thing to not make eye contact <clears throat> with those cameras and mm-hmm. pretend they're not there and, and just uh, get so distracted I, I mean i mean yeah. especially on a on a, a, a Mastodon songs are not like simple, you know, mid-tempo groove songs where <laughs> yeah. you can kind of space out. I mean, there's a lot of changes and a lot of hits he's got to hit, and it's intense. I mean, he's his style is is pretty rambunctious, so he's playing a lot of fills. Yeah, no click track, you know, just just well, heavy stort, distorted guitars, and I'm just going to go out and on that stage. stuff. Okay, when you listen to it with drums, it's easy to follow. But can you imagine trying to follow it with no drums? And no, no click because guitar is just mid range. It's just there's no there's no definition to like where am I? I mean, and then the, he takes the vocals out. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure the vocals were out. I think that was something that, that we had to do for for legal, but I don't remember. But okay, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess part of it is he he kind of writes a lot of the riffs. So okay, I think when you you own the song on that deep of a level where like right. this riff came out of my soul, like <laughs> I'm the one who sang this riff to the guitars to play. Right. It's probably a little bit more comforting, but I just so, thought it, I just thought it was ballsy for him to be like, "I'm going to go play this huge drum event that people practice their whole life for." And lives, yeah. I'm just going to play my <laughs> band songs with with you know never practicing it, never never no sound check, just just go. And, and he had happens. a great um, a great demeanor about him. Uh, and I'm just speaking. I, I I don't think I've actually seen the basic one, but I'm speaking about the Modern Drummer Festival. He had a great demeanor about him on stage. Was super yeah. approachable. Um, wasn't he didn't look nervous at all um, yeah no he's kind of at least in in those two experiences he maybe he gets a little nervous but he kind of he kind of dispels it with humor you know right. where he just he has a good sense of humor and a good sense of humility and, and yeah. he just can make fun of himself you know like knowing that hey i'm not gonna 
I'm not going to play the stuff that the drum gods would play or whatever, but I'm going to go and just rip it like I always do. And so he has a certain confidence and a certain kind of like swagger to him that but it's, yeah it's, it's, it's an approachable swagger yeah. Yeah, yeah it's definitely not a cocky swagger and also too i mean maybe now we've changed our mind of what metal is but when that first came out um whenever he did excuse me the modern drummer festival i remember thinking like because i didn't know who he was I, I when that came out i wasn't a minor artist yet i was still a peisty artist and so when that first came out i was like wait that short-haired blonde-haired dude that's <laughs> yeah. the drummer for mastodon are you sure so he kind of gave it this new thing where metal could be clean cut and still badass you know yeah and yeah that's what i it was a cool thing i mean i'm i'm full disclosure i'm not a huge metalhead, but mastodon's records i really enjoy i think because they also teeter on kind of the more hard rock or the more um you know like there's a certain there's some like some hardcore punk aesthetic to these guys that yes. I that yep. I really enjoy. So it's and I feel like that that authenticity where they're not you know wearing makeup and all that stuff. Like I think that's what's going to keep them at the top of the game forever because they're just sure. who they are. They're wearing the clothes that they walked into the venue wearing, and yeah, that's they're playing the music that they enjoy, and they're not afraid to bring outside influences in and always try new stuff. I think on this record he was. The new record is called. Where is it? It's called. Uh, did we not even say what the new record is called in the story? It's so good. It's untitled. <laughs> Get the what new Mastodon album. It's called. The it's new called Mastodon Emperor album. of Sand. Uh, so there in the go. story, he talks about kind of what he wanted the drum sound to be, and he wanted it to be like Barracuda by the band Heart. I mean, that's yeah. like classic seventies, huge bombastic sounds, which is that's awesome. As far from like modern metal uh, stereotype is I think that we yeah that's get. as far away from the Stephen Slate samples as you can get yeah like the super attacky clicky yeah sounds click 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 um, so wow, he always man. has great sounds and I, I mean I do really do enjoy listening to the records I think the the, the sound of the records is cool and there's there's right. no pretense to them even though sometimes they're singing about epic stories and things but right um, and Braun is now doing a fair amount of lead vocals which is cool Wow. So while he's playing all these crazy fills, he's he's also singing, which is pretty awesome. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, I, you know, the one thing that I've always liked about their stuff is it there's a level of metal that gets pushed so far to the technicality side that it becomes homework for me. And I can't really enjoy the music because I'm constantly trying to figure it out and figure out what time signature we're in and figure out what the drummer's thinking about. And then there's this side of metal it's a little too simple for me where it's just like, ah, this is a little too basic to keep me interested. And Mastodon is right in between those two where yeah. I can just turn off my brain and enjoy it. Or I can be like, dang, it's kind of, it's like a metal version of Sting where I can just enjoy it as a pop tune or I can get into it and be like, that's Vinny playing a yeah. pop tune and yeah, right. doing things that are totally hidden. And so I think Mastodon is in that level where you can just enjoy it as a as a fan of rock or you can kind of get into it and and study it a little bit and realize how technical it really is um you know quick story that uh i mean kind of blew me away but there's a a bakery above mikeslessons.com so i go up there with the campers constantly and we hang out and we eventually because i've been here for 10 years i know all the employees at karen's bakery and they're just really good people karen the lady that owns it hires the best people ever so anyways there's this younger girl in there she's probably mid-20s and i've known her for a while uh just because i've been coming in there and, and she goes hey can i ask you a question about a drummer and i go yeah anything and she's like i am obsessed with this guy Braun Daler. And I was like, nice. what? Like out of all the drummers, that's the guy you ask me about. And I'm like, okay. And she's like, if you ever meet him, is there any way you could get his autograph? And I was like, wow. Yeah. I'm like, wow. I, okay. I Did totally would have thought it would have been further. Like why? She's just the biggest. Yeah. Like, well, then I find out she is okay. So obviously when you see somebody at their work, you only see their work clothes, right? Yeah, so right. I see her in a bakery outfit. <laughs> yeah. So the next time I come in, she she's like, oh, I wanted to give you this CD. And I'm like, what is it? And she's like, it's the new Opeth demos. I'm like, what? <laughs> Wait, how do you even know? She's this cute little red-haired girl like, that just looked like she just came out from picking flowers outside. But Ugh. now she's asking for Braun Daler's autograph, and she's giving me Opeth demos. And I'm like, all right. You know, I guess, so she's into the rock, man. I wonder if him taking over a lot of lead vocals has kind of pushed him into that front man for, for the fans. I mean, is he becoming Yeah, it could like, be. I mean, it is kind of his band. I think he's he's 
intrinsically like it's not like he's the drummer in Mastodon. He kind of is Mastodon along with the other right. guys. So I think like he does most of the interviews, so he's pretty visible. Right, but I yeah, wonder if because I mean that. that it was very funny that she clearly doesn't. She's not like a drum fan. She just yeah. is a Braun Daler fan. Um, that's awesome. And so I was like, that's and it's just so funny that I've been going up. They know what I do down here. I mean, they they hear me all day long, <laughs> and they know. You know, I'll let them know. Hey, the drummer from Snoop Dogg is downstairs right now. If you guys want to come say hi, or whoever stops by, you know. Yeah, um, we've had some pretty famous drummers here that are not famous just to drummers but they're famous in the world of music and so just for her to bring up braun daler i was like wow that's cool and it just was like it was like awesome i, I thought it was a really cool thing so everybody check out braun daler on mastodon's new album what's the name of the album one more time emperor of emperor of sand but honestly i think if if you're not familiar with mastodon you should just go through their whole discography because every record is a little bit different but you can and you can kind of hear how they're growing it's it's been these are one of those bands that I like to watch because they're just evolving, but still staying true to themselves. They've never kind of completely jumped the shark and gone, you know, right. a certain route. But they're also not just repeating themselves like every record. So I think it's and now just we know. Now we know that Fonzie jumped a shark on on water skis, <laughs> and that's where that came from. Oof. Yeah, that was, yeah, that I was close. I think I, I think I mixed in the Dukes of Hazards the first time. I I was all off on that. I mean, oh. that's a throwback. We're going back a year, or so at this point. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I've been doing this podcast for too long. All right, everybody, well check out Braun Daler, and I definitely recommend just. Go to YouTube as well and type in Braun Daler Modern Drummer Festival. Those are some amazing clips because uh, the Modern Drummer Festival always had the best camera work for the fans. Uh, you know, I think we all know what it's like to watch a live concert, and we're just hoping that they'll show the drummer once. Yeah, for like five well, the Modern seconds. Drummer Festival yeah. was they kept the camera on the drummer the whole time, and that was like the dream. You know, I, I would be watching uh, Eric Clapton, and I'm like, oh, just just show the drummer, just show the yeah. drummer for two seconds, please. <laughs> I just want to know if he's got clear coated heads. That was my entire uh, childhood watching MTV. Like, give me yeah, a little right? bit of Alex Van Halen, just a little bit, little Will Calhoun. Come on, just, yeah, just just get behind the drum set for one second. It won't kill you. I know you're going to have to match up the snare hits. I know. Oh, that's tough video editor guy but just do it come on uh so yeah so check out uh Bron daler on, on all the mastodon stuff as well as the modern drummer festival all right let's talk about some gear review this is probably one that we don't have any audio of i would assume because it's hardware related <laughs> oh yeah but before we do that we've got to again thank dream symbols for sponsoring the show and bring it i wanted to uh, go through their product line and just kind of explain everything in case in case you're curious about what they offer because it's it's not as it's simple to it's not they're, they're not named in certain ways that would make you understand exactly what they are i mean they have the energy series which is obviously what you would think it's kind of their louder more aggressive modern sound but the three of the kind of the more core of their line the bliss series and the contact series and the dark matter series so uh I've had experience with all of these, so I wanted to kind of give my two cents on what I think they do best. Um, the Bliss series is, I think that would be like your old K, your old thin, well-worn-in cymbal kind of sound. It's got small bell. Um, I've owned a few of these, and they are great. The, the, actually, the bigger crash rides are amazing crashes. They kind of have some trashiness, but without going into the effects kind of a sound. Um I've described them as like, you know, that perfect sound of a cymbal right before it breaks. <laughs> like it, it, it's like right, perfectly yeah, yeah, yeah. worn in, and it's just a little bit of trashiness. That's kind of what the Bliss series does. Uh, the Contact series is also kind of a thinner line, but it has a bigger bell, so it's maybe a more all-purpose cymbal. Uh, but still, kind of, I think all of Dream stuff is leaning towards the the guys who want thinner, kind of jazzier sounds. So, uh, Dude. The Vintage Bliss uh, 20 inch. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, my gorgeous. jam. Yeah. I, mean, I love great. that symbol. They record great. They open up really fast. Yeah. Uh, and then the Dark Matter is kind of their their funky, raw looking symbols. And that would be, I mean, the closest thing I can compare them to is if you like Jack DeJohnette's symbol sound, like really, really dry and earthy and, and not a ton of wash. Um, those are pretty cool. Um, but. The stuff that is really neat is all these effects things that they're they're putting out. They've got the crop circles, which um, 
I think it, it was the first of its kind. It's like a it's this is what they're making the recent stuff we talked about last week at the broken recycled symbol program. Right. Yep. A lot of that stuff is being turned into these crop circles, which are I think they're ten or fourteen inch circles with jingles drilled onto them. So it gives you kind of a, a electronic stack sound that you can throw onto your your cymbals or drums or whatever. Those are cool. Those are designed with Scott Pellegrom. Do you know him? Yeah, of course. Scott's a, Scott's just a freak, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a freak. <laughs> dude, I mean, I just if you don't follow Scott Pellegrom on Instagram, you should because he's absolutely incredible. So those are cool, and I think they have a version of the fourteen without the jingles. It's called a naughty saucer. That, naughty. That I've not tried, but I would like to because the sometimes I don't want to have tambourine jingles on every every backbeat. So I think I'm, I think I want to get my hands on one of these naughty saucers and see what that does. But then they've got. You know the Pang Stackers, which I re- I reviewed uh, last month or so, which is like a splash and a Pang combination that you can do. You can f- invert them and flip them in all different ways. Super cool. And they've got these little bells. And what's another one that I thought was really cool? It's called the Han symbol. Ooh, it's pretty neat. I mean, that's kind of more getting into the Chinese uh, little little bowl symbols and stuff. Right. Really cool. The cool thing for me is that this stuff is, I think you can get like a Han symbol or like a 10-inch Han symbol or maybe it's the Jing symbol. They're like 30 bucks. <laughs> you know? No, I mean. it's, it's unreal. <laughs> I mean, the, the cost is, is incredible for the sound. And for me, I, I think Skip's Music in Sacramento might have been one of the first dealers in Northern California to bring them on because it was back when I was teaching there 15 years ago. And I remember telling all of my students, I don't care if you're a Zildjian, Sabian, Minel, Peisty person. If you are going to be playing any jazz gigs, lower volume gigs, just get a set of these Bliss cymbals because they're so affordable. You'll have them forever. And if you're playing lower volume stuff, you're never going to crack them. But they sound like, you know, if you have a set of Bliss hi hats, uh, an 18-inch crash, and a 22-inch ride, you sound like you have a set of old Ks. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you're playing the small little jazz gig, no one's going to think that your cymbals are anywhere near the cost that those things, these things actually are. So uh, I think they're amazing. So definitely check out Dream Cymbals, the Bliss line, uh, the Dark Matters line, all this stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, and cool they have stuff. a great website. You can hear everything there. Yeah, exactly. They got pretty decent sound samples of everything. But yeah, uh, check them out. So again, thanks, Dream, for supporting the show. And let's move on. We've got uh, yeah. So we're not going to have any sound sound demos of the Gibraltar Stealth G Drive pedals, unless uh, it was squeaky. Then I would definitely <laughs> want you to report that. I'd want to hear the ringer ringer ringer. Um, well, that wasn't a very appropriate sound. All right, so. Get your mind out of the gutter. Gibraltar Stealth G-Drive. So this looks like it was built off of the previous pedal that was silver that kind of had that Sonar Jojo Mayer look, but it was a little more futuristic. And I have yeah. that pedal. And it's a great pedal. Yeah. Uh, but I was checking out the Gibraltar Stealth G-Drive. It's all black, so I'm assuming that's why they're calling it Stealth. Yeah. Aluminum base plate, so it's nice and light. But there's some really cool things about this. Um, I yeah. love the fact that you can adjust the beater angle and then the pedal height angle totally independently i think that's a really cool feature yeah because that's the problem is when i pull my beater back now my pedal is super high and awkward for me yeah exactly i mean they they put these are designed to be simple pedals with just enough features that you can get you know you can customize it without going to the point where you feel like you just deconstruct it and you got to rebuild the whole thing like some right some pedals have so many tweaks and adjustments that you literally could spend all day adjusting your pedal and never actually practicing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i remember seeing a few opposite. pedals come out at nam where i was like that's 900 parts that you have sprayed out all <laughs> over the table how is that attractive to me i can't do anything yeah, with that like i'm not impressed when I'm, you tell me there's eight there's infinite ways to adjust this pedal i'm like i don't want to hear that <laughs> no i just want to press foot down make noise happy that's like that's uh, yeah. slogan yeah does it feel uh, good as you send it to me cool so uh my favorite feature is that the the hoop attachment is on the top of the bracket rather than underneath the footboard or off to the yes. side. Simple yeah. things like when I'm when I'm having to load in ten minutes to get on a house kit and and downbeat starts. Like 
I don't want to have to be bending down and moving the floor, Tom. And I don't want to be having to get on the floor of that club. <laughs> yeah, right. You yeah, know what I mean? It's a nice thing it. to just reach down and be like, cool, I'm not touching that rug, man. <laughs> I'm I don't sorry. Even think about that anymore. Yeah, it's filth. Hepatitis or something. Who knows? <laughs> You've got every antibody in the world, buddy. You are impervious. You will survive the zombie apocalypse. No, I think that's a, a great feature. That's been on a few of their pedals in the past. Yeah. I don't know exactly. I mean, we could go back and watch JoJo Mayer's newest DVD to find out when that feature showed up in the uh, timeline of pedals in general. But I think that, that that feature is really important. Now, did you get a chance to test this pedal out or who else? Yeah, no, it? I reviewed it and, and okay. I do. I, I used them for a while. I actually used the double pedal for about a month before I really I just took it off the kit because I just had no need to play double pedal. But it feels sure. um, it feels just slightly faster to the drums than what I'm used to. Okay. Um, so it just took a a little bit of time for me to not kind of be rushing my bass drum patterns. Okay. It's just a little bit I don't know if it's faster or lighter. Something about it was just getting the beater to the head like not like like super different like like a direct drive pedal would have done, but okay. Somewhere in between. Just, it was noticeable. Normal. Something okay. something wasn't. So I actually took the um I think they had like memory locks on the beaters, but I actually used them as weights and lifted the memory lock up towards the beater to give it some extra sure. weight. And yep. that that seemed to do it for me. But but quite honestly, straight out of the box with no adjustments, it felt fine. I could use it. So Smooth, let me ask you this. Fast. This is my biggest pet peeve of pedals. We're talking about how great that adjustment is because it's on the top, but does it clamp? Like or it, what, did you have to constantly readjust it? No, it, it bites down pretty good. Yeah. Okay. It didn't move. What a weird thing that I mean we've all suffered with that yeah. our forever. You know, mm-hmm. you look down and your pedals sideways and it's like yeah. this is the most expensive one they make. <laughs> I don't, I don't, and then they're always trying to protect my bass drum hoop. I don't care about my bass drum hoop. I don't care about it at all. It's like forty dollars to replace it. I care that my bass drum pedal doesn't go sideways. Yes, I'm uh, aware that's pretty funny. old school drum teacher guys that that's probably because my technique's terrible. If my technique was you perfect, know. my pedal wouldn't go sideways. But you know, I get to beta st- test this stuff. You know, because I do take them to gigs and especially these jam sessions because I know there's going to be drummers of all different skill levels and experience. Sure. In. And, and a lot of times it's because I, I mean, I, I don't play quiet all the time. I Sometimes I'm really kicking the drum. The drum never moves. The pedal very rarely moves on me. Okay. But then there's some people who sit on the kit and like, I think they're playing a third of the volume that I was. And then I come back to the kid. It's like, what the heck happened? The pedals like detached from the hoop and the yeah. Tom is like spun around the wrong way. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? Uh, this one didn't do that. I didn't, awesome. I didn't notice it flying around. It does have the, you know, the kind of they're standard, but I think some pedals maybe don't have them anymore. The screw in spikes in the footboard that, that right. kind of bite down onto the floor. Yeah. I do make sure that those are at least engaged, you know, quarter of an inch or something. Especially the yeah. right the right side one. That seems to be the one that usually shifts. So that's yeah. the one I really typed down. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, were, it was smooth. The double pedal, because um, my first double pedal when I was in sixth grade was a Gibraltar. Yeah. It was like the cheapest one that they that made. That was the only one we could all afford, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was it was fine, but it was also not, you know, the left, the left side didn't feel like the main side. Right. This one was, you know, pretty much identical. I think they've, they've, They've got it down to where there was no give. The universal joints were not. There was no give in them. Cool. Um, yeah. So it's and it's they're not super expensive. I think that's that's crucial for me with a pedal, especially if I want to get a double pedal that I might use occasionally. Just want something simple. Yeah. Something steady. Something solid. And this is a good pedal. Um, now, um, what do you think about? So this has a very slick footboard. Um, yeah. And obviously, that's going to be great for people that play without their shoes, that play in socks, yep. maybe play barefoot. Are you a fan of the more, I would say, the gridded up kind of pedal board? Let's say uh, Pearl P100 or P1000, whatever that is, and then DW? Or are you a fan of like this more slick board? Or I've, does it not matter to you at all? I've never once ever thought about it. Yeah. So uh, it's, I'm, I'm it's with you. not. I mean, I always wear I play shoes. With shoes <laughs> yeah. So I don't know exactly. <laughs> yeah. yep. Sometimes I wear boots. Sometimes I wear sneakers. I don't. I don't think I've ever thought about it. The the footboard size sometimes crosses my mind yeah. if it's if it's a really wide footboard or really narrow. But this one's just kind of like sh- like foot shaped, so it didn't felt it, like a pedal. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't even cross my mind. If uh, maybe if that's if great. It got if someone like spilled beer on it and it got slip slippery for a minute, I might notice right. it. But right. No, I didn't. I think it is. It's a, 
it's cool that, that if you do play without shoes, there's a pedal that's not going to give you blisters. But yeah, I, no, I agree. Yeah, I don't. I don't ever think about that. I don't know. I, sometimes I'm nerdy about a lot of stuff, but things like that, I'm like. I'm, I'm with you. Like, if I obsess, I obsess too much, so I have to pick and choose my obsession. <laughs> yeah. So if if I'm not going to obsess, I actually don't care at all. Like, <laughs> I've never... Every time I take a picture of my kit at a drum festival, people are like, oh, you switched to the... And I'm like, no, I didn't switch to anything. They just put something on my kit. I don't I don't make a call and say, hey, make sure there's a 9,000 there. It's like, I don't know, whatever. I, I usually say, DW pedal if you have one. If not, anything else will work. Drum yeah. throne, I literally say... Round, square, bicycle, I don't care. But and then but man, if I got there and there were clear heads, I would lose my mind. I'd be like, someone's getting fired. I, I gotta have coated heads. For no reason at all. Just just so that's why you gotta pick and choose your spots. But I do think that that pedal is a nice solid pedal. Now what's the um do we know the cost for the double pedal? You know, at the time of the review I we couldn't confirm it, but uh um, Okay. We'll have to we'll have to follow up. It's not super expensive. Sure. It's it's one of their more affordable. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm seeing the double pedal as 370, and the um, single pedal is 150. So um, I think that's totally in the affordable ballpark. Not yeah. to mention, you've got it's got a really cool beater that comes with it. Double chain. Um, so the single pedal yeah. looks great. I, the I double mean, double chain is something I I've recently become a fan of i never thought about it but i have a couple pedals that they're tending they're kind of like squeaking and giving out a little bit because they have this small single chain double double chain i don't notice it being heavier but it feels a lot more solid sturdy yeah i'm with you you know speaking of uh riders i had a because i'm the same like you know when i play these these out of town gigs where we fly in they you know they what's your rider and we give them very specific about what what the kit needs to be and i'm like i really don't care but I give them like very specific dimensions and stuff. And there's a couple times when I've shown up and they were like apologizing, like, I'm sorry, we didn't have a 5,000 series pedal. We only have a 9,000 series and we couldn't get you the exact symbol sizes, but we got something similar. I'm like, man, what are you doing to me? I'm like, you know what? I, I really don't care. Thank you for at least getting a drum set there. <laughs> yeah. Know? This, oh, wow. These shells are round. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you for That's supplying uh, me with a drum set. <laughs> I, I just I just always go back and think like, okay, what would 15-year-old Mike Johnston think if he heard me complaining? You know, it's like yeah. 15-year-old Mike Johnston had a, a Jugs percussion drum set with rototoms, <laughs> two old hi-hat cymbals as crashes, and the pedal was like literally like one of those $25 uh, – sound percussion pedals and so it's like yeah man if, if it all functions i'm cool i you know the only thing i'm weird about is that snare stand it cannot have the click adjustment it has to have the because you don't want it because you never get the right right spot right it's always exactly. in between where it needs to be why is why is that why couldn't they just tweak the die <laughs> cast a little bit so it it actually makes puts no one of the spots right where you want it. It makes no <laughs> sense. So, like, literally, I, I'm only obsessive. Uh, w- when I'm flying to these festivals, the only thing I care about is the snare stand. And that is actually in the writer. It says, like, DW 9000 series snare stand, no exceptions. I, <laughs> if you have to buy one, charge me. I'll pay for it. I don't care. <laughs> but I have to have that snare stand. And then I need one 9000 series cymbal stand for my ride. I do not want my ride to be clicked one away from me or one too close to me. <laughs> Those are the only two. Everything else, I don't care. I, I got to Germany. They were like, yeah, we couldn't find a 20-inch bass drum. Whatever. <laughs> What's that one? 24? Sweet. Let's do it. I don't care. I, I don't care about any of that stuff. But, man, that snare stand, that'll – I because then I have to take – the snare basket and put it like halfway in on the hoop like I, you know what i you have yeah. to, it sucks yeah see man see, you're no yeah, i'm you're, mad you're showing yeah, you're obsessive or things to the point where it ruins your day yeah. it does <laughs> but only that it's such a weird thing if they're like sorry we got you a you know the worst pedal ever that's cool even though the entire solo i'm playing is around bass drum technique and speed not a problem i'll figure it out Oh, I'm sorry. One click away on my snare drum. I'm out of here. I'm flying back to America. <laughs> Crazy. All right, guys. Check out the Gibraltar Stealth G-Drive pedal. It will not drive you nuts. Now it is time for listener questions. What do we right. got, buddy? Let's try to blow. We've got a big stack of them here, so we'll probably do for an all-listener question episode in the future. But we'll try to get to a few. This one comes from Austin. Uh, what intermediate-level snares 
are best, and what snare would you suggest investing in when trying to upgrade your snare? So he's in the price range of one hundred to three hundred dollars. Um, okay, <clears throat> I think forget intermediate level. If you got three hundred dollars, you can get a used Ludwig Superphonic, and and mm. that'll be your snare drum for the rest of your life. Okay, or an Acrolyte. Mm-hmm. So I think a Ludwig Acrolyte Ludwig Superphonic that's in that price range. You're not going to get them brand new for that, but you can find used ones that are in good shape. Right, that would be my yeah. top suggestion because um, that's those drums are there. There's there's so many of them that they're never going to be so rare that the price goes way up. I don't yep. think. No, I think that's a, I think that's a great uh, call. If you have to get something brand new and you need to stay under two ninety nine, I would suggest the Pearl Sensitone. It's going to mm. give you the two lugs, the cool look. Yeah, those are it's nice. It's got little. Uh, it's just a great drum. It's a nice steel drum, and it's two ninety nine for the uh, fourteen by five, and it's two ninety seven for the fourteen by six and a half. So, um, so yeah. So I would go with that um, as a brand new snare. All right, that's that. This one comes from Tom. Um, it's kind of a long one, so I'm going to give a synopsis. So um, long. So he's a teacher, and he's has a. <laughs> An issue with his students. So long story short, I think I've taught my students to read too well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so basically, again, to give him a synopsis, he's having a hard time getting students to be comfortable playing gigs without charts. Oh, so how do man. we How do we break the reliance on the chart when they get to the gig or the recital or whatever it is? Wow. That's a real thing. I, I had somebody oh, yeah. bring up charts uh, in camp at the end of the night sheds where we're just playing songs for fun mm-hmm. and like can i get a music stand and i was like oh you're gonna you're gonna play on it is it percussive <laughs> and i'm like wait you're gonna bring a chart up to jam a tune no <laughs> hell no yeah that's a that is a thing that that chart becomes a safety net yeah. i've definitely I have, experienced uh, it i sure. do i do have a process that i could share um because i kind of oh, go course. through this like when i first like like for instance last weekend i, I played a cover band gig and i had to learn 30 songs in two days and I maybe played eight or nine of them before. Okay. Um, in that situation where I'm playing with people I don't know, I've never played with them before, I, I chart everything out. Um, so, you know, I'm at the point now where I don't have to do a super detailed chart, but go back 10, 15 years, the first time through I would do a pretty detailed chart where I would notate all the groove changes and all the the accents and stuff and then, you know, all the repeats, all that stuff and I would label it verse, chorus, that's just so I can learn the song. And then each time I listen to it or, you know, play through it or practice through it, I, I try to, you know, what do I not need to notate anymore? So I'll do a second chart that's maybe less detailed, more roadmap. And then the third time I'll do a chart that's just a roadmap where it's just verse eight, chorus eight, bridge, yep. um, stop. I'll, I'll use the word stop, but I won't actually notate where the stop is. It's just right. I know that there's going to be a stop somewhere after that chorus. So I'm gradually weaning myself off of having to read the stuff and just relying on the fact that I I know the song. I'm just not trusting myself to know okay. the song. Yeah. So now I'm at the point where I just go to gig with just sheets that just give me forms. It's just a form structure. Mm. And I very rarely notate anything unless it's very specific accents that I just won't remember. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is you just have to say – you have to, you just have to force them. So I would do that. I would have them gradually simpler and simpler chart, and yeah, then finally, until just a little, until you just got a roadmap, and then say, okay, let's just do it without it. Try it once, and trust yeah. yourself because you're gonna. I mean, you're listening to a song four or five times. You're not gonna realize it, but you probably have it memorized. It's probably there. You know. Yeah, you know the other thing too, and I don't know if you've experienced this for yourself or for your students, but when there's actual charts. My students aren't playing the song. They're playing a drum part that's written down. Yeah, and they're getting caught up in the, is this measure six or seven? And instead yeah. of just relying on... Oh, I missed that fill. I'm like, yeah. you missed that fill. Like, and I'm like, you did fine. They're like, no, 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 he plays right, left, kick, kick. I'm like, holy crap. Who cares? <laughs> mm. Like, it's a cover gig, man. Like, play the fill in the right spot, but it's okay. And, you know, or I'll see them... The other thing that I've seen happen is... The student can't actually physically play the groove, but they refuse to play the lesser version of the groove to make the song feel good. Mm. So they're like, no, I'm just going to suck at Rosanna rather than playing a simple shuffle without the crazy bass drum pattern. Maybe yep. it's just maybe take out the ghost notes. It's like, man, you're, you're reading the chart. Just play the song. Make the yeah. song feel good. We're going to be fine. you know. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I think going from the actual chart 
down to a roadmap all the way down to a simple cheat sheet is the way to go. Yeah. And I mean, you you have to make them listen to the slump music a lot because I think my experience oh, yeah. as well when I was younger, I mean, I was going in and playing with, with symphony orchestras and never having studied the piece of music before. Like how, how moronic is that where I'm playing triangle and I don't have to play for like 15 minutes, but I'm in the back of the orchestra counting measures because right. I didn't learn the piece, you know? So I yeah. think if you if you force the fact that it's about listening to the song and and you're not going to need a chart, you listen to the song ten times, you're not ever going to forget it ever. Yeah, it's always it. there. Yeah, I mean, and especially too with the people that are doing gigs, maybe church gigs or other gigs where it's not famous cover tunes, where you've accidentally heard the song a thousand times, whether you're a fan or not. I've always told my students, you have to turn the song into a hit single. So when somebody gives me a brand new piece of music, I listen to it like it's my new favorite song. I listen to it in the car, I listen to it in the shower, I listen to it on a run, and eventually it becomes ingrained. And you just, I'm not studying the drum parts, I'm studying the song. The form is what's, mm. what's important. If I nail the form, they can forgive that I didn't have an open hi hat on the end of two. But if I have the nailed drum part, but I ruin the form, everyone's going to be pretty upset. So. Mm. All right, cool. All right, next. This one comes from Mike. I think we've we've answered this question a, a few different ways, but you know it's always a good one to bring up. So, um, how do you guys balance your passion and dedication to drumming and music with other other aspects of your life, particularly social obligations, time with family, etc.? There's so much to practice, so many things to pursue, so much to listen to and study. It seems like like we could spend all spend just about all of our time in the practice room, gigging and writing and doing other drum stuff. So, how do you balance? <laughs> non-drumming stuff with your drumming life it's a it's a great point um i think the key is that accepting the fact that it's not healthy to go a hundred percent on anything whether it's golf healthy food only uh you know everything falls apart when you go a hundred percent on one thing so i honestly welcome the family time i welcome the social time it's a break I, I I just turn my drum brain off. I'm excited about it because mm-hmm. when I turn my drum brain off, like tomorrow, um, so I have camp starting pretty much on Saturday. That's when all the campers get here. So tomorrow, which is Friday, which is today for everyone that's listening, uh, my wife and I are going to take our dogs to the San Francisco dog park that is literally like three miles of area closed off of oceanfront property, and it's all off off leash. You nice. get there, you let your dog run, and there's thousands of dogs. And it's just, <laughs> wow. it is heaven for the dogs, and it's heaven for us. And the Golden Gate Bridge is in the background, and it's supposed to be 74 degrees. Oh, the last wow. thing I want to do while I'm there is think about, what if I played every fifth, sixteenth note underneath a bio with my feet? It's <laughs> yeah. like, no, man, I'm unplugging. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to soak this moment in. And the thing is, while soaking that moment in and obsessing over how great that is, then I start to miss the drums, and I'm like, yeah. oh, I can't wait to get back. And then when I get back, my practice time is more focused. So yeah. what about you? Yeah, I think that, that kind of touches on it. I think there's a difference between a healthy obsession and an all-out all obsession. And I agree. And like in that instance, you have to – for me, I mean, again, it, it's something I didn't learn until I was a full-grown adult. So I think, I think some of it comes with perspective that you can't do everything. You can't be everything. And the only thing that matters is literally what you're doing this exact moment. So, right, like you and I are talking on a podcast. I'm not thinking about the ten things that I was supposed to get done today that I haven't gotten done. Once we're done, I'll go back to obsessing over that. But uh, so I think the biggest thing for me, I'm having just accepted that I can't be everything and do everything as a drummer. That when I was 15, I wanted to be able to do literally everything. I wanted to be able to play right. like everyone. I wanted to be able to have the fastest feet. I wanted to be able to have the, the strongest groove. I wanted to have the, you know, the most knowledge of how to tune, like all that stuff. But it's just impossible. So I think, yeah, for me, it's about what are you actually passionate about? Like I'm not passionate at the moment about double bass, so I'm right. not going to worry about practicing double bass. If some exactly, yeah. one day that pops up, or either someone expects it of me, or I'm just like, you know what, I'm gonna, I really, really want to learn how to play double bass. I, that might change. So I think just chilling out, relaxing, and saying it's okay. Like practice when you can, squeeze it in when you can. Yeah. I mean, I'm literally playing the drums 15 minutes a day between 7.30 a.m. and, and 8.30 a.m. That's, that's my window, you know? <laughs> and it's, yeah. I mean, it's there's funny. all this stuff I'm doing, but... I'm going to be on the drums all day today filming stuff, but none of it I would consider to be helping my growth as a player. 
And it's so funny that you said that. Literally, I got up at 7, kind of brushed the cobwebs off, had some green tea, and about 7.15, 7.20, I got on the practice kit at the house and closed the door. And I played for about 20 minutes of things that I'm really not very good at, but I really personally want them. So it's yeah. not the things that I suck at and I don't care about. These are the things that I'm like, no, I, I really do wish I was great at this. Yeah. Um, and I see a benefit and I see a goal here. And I did about 20 to 25 minutes of it. I got up, took my shower and came into work. And, and now I'll play drums all day, but that'll probably be the only part of my day where I actually grew as a player. You know, yeah, right. everything else is maintenance. And it doesn't take um, long. I think it only takes five, no. 10 minutes to grow. And I'm, I'm starting to see the parallels because my brother's a, a personal trainer and I'm trying to, I'm seeing the parallels between people who get obsessed with fitness and people who know how to actually use their time wisely and get a full workout right. in 10, 15 minutes where other people are doing like two, three hours in the gym and they're just destroying their bodies. Right. So like no, I can I'm just do you. some kettlebell swings and I feel like I'm, I'm doing my exercise for the day where I don't have to yeah. spend three hours doing a full body workout and you know, taking yeah. ten minute breaks between sets or whatever whatever the, the gym rat kind of mentality is. Like I just lift a kettlebell a, fifty times and put it down and then I'm done. Like <laughs> I just hell, I just walk into the gym, I do two laps around it and I'm like, Yeah, you guys all look good. I'm out. Peace. Uh well good. All right, I think, well, good I think luck, we all Mike. go through that. So I'm I'm glad that uh glad that question was asked because we all go yeah. through it. All right, one more. We've got um not that one, that'll take too long. <laughs> um not that one as well. Let's see. Oh, man, these are all like really heavy, full discussion questions. I love it. Keep them coming in, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. But I'm looking for just an easy one here. Like, what's your favorite color? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, this is, this is an older one, and I think I'd already answered this question for Daniel a while ago in a, a personal conversation. But this comes from Daniel. Um, he's looking to get a new kit uh, in the configuration of the kit that he's thinking about getting has a 14 by 22 inch bass drum. Um, and he's used to playing an 18 by 22 inch bass drum. So he's concerned about the power and, and low end that a 14 mm-hmm. by 22 will provide. Hmm. Um, I, which is what I told him. One of my favorite bass drum sounds of all time that I've recorded with and toured with is a Rogers seventies, 14 by 22 inch bass drum. Yeah. It sounded it, as big or not bigger than any 18 by 22 I've ever played. I told you, it's just an optical illusion. You bring that resonant head a little bit closer to the batter head, the low end actually picks up quite a bit. I think yep. there's more low. I have a Brooklyn 14 by 22, and it has more low end than my 18 by 22 in the exact same color, exact same shell, <laughs> everything. The only thing that's different is four inches of depth, and yeah. I think the 14 by 22 has more low end but the other thing that i love about it is the 14 by 22 has the option of throwing on a non-ported head putting in no muffling tuning up both heads fairly you know medium tight and getting a boomy bass drum where i can't get my 18 it never resonates because it takes too long for the sound waves to hit that resonant head yeah so i can never get it to be boomy and you can never play it quietly oh absolutely you can't play an 18 by 22 quietly like i I, nothing happens i could play a big band gig for sure with a 14 by 22 and if i tuned it right i get some funky looks from my you know my bebop friends but i could play a straight ahead jazz gig on a 14 by 22 easily yeah i mean it's been done the heads and for sure i mean i I have a a few jazz friends that choose 14 by 20s for their bop gigs Um, yeah even though they own 18s they just want a little more out of it so i think you'd be set with that so all right guys we'll keep sending in those questions we appreciate it md info at modern drummer.com and uh now it is time for our picks of the week do you have anything wonderful for us to go spend our money on no this is i think it's free i think i definitely saw it for free i hope it wasn't a pirated version but jojo Mayer's new documentary changing time Um, it's on it's on the nerve uh youtube channel it's an hour-long documentary that follows it follows jojo through a little bit of touring but Largely, it's just a look at at the the amazing life and and artistry and and it's a it's a look behind the curtain of what it means to be Jojo Mayer in 2016 17. I think it's great. It, I found it incredibly inspiring. I learned so much about him that that I wasn't aware of. Like his growing up, he you know he moved around a lot. He was kind of a nomad with his and his his parents were professional musicians, so they were moving around and. I didn't realize that, and that he kind of explains how that relates to his 
current mentality of he just can't settle down. Like he doesn't really know where what what home is. Wow. Uh, and that so it kind gets of, deep. Yeah, it gets, but not going so far to where it's like you know, like a psychological mess. Sure, but sure. No, no. I mean, deep as far as it, it lets you in a little bit. Yeah. No. He's he's definitely he takes you into the house he grew up in. There's some interesting things like his you know, his family had like wild animals in their house. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like snakes and lizards and stuff. Nice. <laughs> like they had a terranium or something. Pretty pretty cool. So I think it's great. That's, and that's there's some, awesome. And there's there's footage of. I mean, I don't want to give away the whole thing, but there's there's footage of their live show falling apart due to technical issues and stuff. I mean, it's really it's a pretty honest view of you know a a week in the life of JoJo Mayer on tour. Awesome, um, man. super cool. Well, Changing see- time is the name of it. There's some good footage of the band playing live. Um, it's what I watched a little bit of that, and that's what inspired me to go mess around with my electronic setup on my drum kit a little bit more. And so it's one of, one of those. I love documentaries, but this was yeah, one of too. those that had that perfect mix of inspiration and entertainment, and and, and insight and knowledge that you can only get if you sit down with someone like Jojo Mayer and just let him talk, just let him go on on certain directions. Yeah. So it's really cool. Changing time is the name of it. Awesome. Yeah, I downloaded it right away. Um, I'm not going to tell you guys how, but it's not that hard to find a <laughs> plug-in for your browser that will let you download YouTube videos. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I look forward to watching you it. Still maybe you still download stuff? Aren't we like – isn't we're at the point now where no one wants to own any content anymore? It's not that. My, my problem is that there's too many links on YouTube. So I, I have a folder on my desktop called Inspiration, and I just – I'll just forget to go back to that YouTube link. So I just download oh, right. it and put it in that folder. And that's like my collection of things that I, Ted talks and things where it's like, okay, yeah. I want to revisit this. I want to keep this with me. So, all right, guys, well, my pick of the week is a video on YouTube as well. Uh, have you ever heard of the artist Gallant? G-A-L-L-A-N-T? No, I don't think so. Okay, so I, I just sent you a link. R&B artist, but really next level cool cool stuff very and i think you would rhythmically like his actual album because it's this it's that awesome split between straight time and and triplet time Mm, constantly mixed up changing subdivisions so this is a track uh and um let's see this is called the video just says seal x gallant in the room ep2 but I'm trying to find the name of the song. I think it's called, uh, oh, it's called Weight in Gold. And it's an incredible song. And when it first kicks in, you guys are all, all you drummer guys are going to be like, ah, oh, this is so just ballady and simple. Then the drummer, uh, AJ Novak, starts kicking it. And then the vocals like Seal and, and Galan are going at it. It is unbelievable. It probably is my, currently my favorite three minutes of video on all of youtube the talent Mm. in this video is unbelievable the rhythm section is incredible and i i think aj novak is probably the second person i can think of in history that i've actually gone out of my way who i've never met that i just wrote a fan letter to on facebook nice i was like bro i'm a fan you're awesome (laughs) and if you write me back uh i would like to get your autograph Uh, so yeah so check it out gallant you can just honestly, you can go to Google and just type in Gallant and Seal, G A L L A N T. Um, and this cat is incredible. And what's great is Seal, it like starts the song and he's, he's holding it down. And it's like, yeah. ooh. And then Gallant comes in and it's like, oh, okay, there's a new sheriff in town. So it's pretty <laughs> rad. But rhythmically, I think you guys will really enjoy the drumming on it. So check it out. And then from there, you'll see a bunch of other stuff with him performing with other people um, in the same kind of vibe. And he did one of the, NPR uh, Music Tiny Desk concert. So really cool artist. All right, everybody. Well, have an amazing week. Uh, So I'll be talking to you next week while I'm in the middle of camp. So I'll give you a report on how the first camp of the year is going. That's right. Cool. Have fun. Good luck with your crazy weekend, man. Yeah, I'm going to make it through. It'll be all right. It's all drums and music. It's just the driving 250 miles that that makes it tough. Oof. (laughs) Yikes. All right, That's man. the well, work. Uh, that's the work side of being a drummer. It is. It really is. The drumming we do for free. Everything else, that's what we get paid for. Yeah, so. indeed. All, right. All right, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. Peace.